Broadcasting from Littlehampton, UK, this is the Man Up Podcast. From Sorted Magazine, official sponsor, staggerversary.co.uk. Loading in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hi, this is Steve Legg on the Sorted Man Up Podcast. Welcome to our Easter edition. Yes, he's back. He was here in January. The, the post bag has uh, <laughs> sagged onto the weight of request to have him back. Yes, you recognise that. Hearty laugh. Who's this? My compadre, oh. my dear friend Tony Vino. Tony, welcome back. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you too, Steve. I, I appreciate that. And it, and well done for saying happy Easter. I think it's one of those terms that everyone's very like, happy Christmas, but obviously Easter it's a time more of, of reflection with the, the death uh, of Christ. But it is about, it's actually the more, it's it's even more happy occasion than, than Christmas, isn't it? Well, it's about resurrection. Resurrection, new life. Totally. So, um... <laughs> Happy Third Eucharist. Uh, we should just sit happy before every we could Christian start festival. A, a range of cards there, could we? <laughs> really obscure ones, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Tony, have you given up anything for Lent? Because I know you're a man who's given up meat. You've given up everything. Oh, you, man. Uh, you're a waif. I've, I've, <laughs> it's dropped well, off Well, vegan. You became a vegan in January. Oh, mate. Well, the thing is, I, um, I, yeah, I slightly hamstrung myself um, Last year, well, that, that, I mean, quite literally, uh, my Achilles broke mid, mid, oh, midway man. through last year. That was a nightmare. Um, and you know, they say, you know, and I was, and my, my, my leg was in a plaster cast for like a month, and then I was in one of those boots for like three months. And they say, it was, it was my mum said, you've got to look at the positive side of everything. I was like, the only positive side was I had half the amount of sock washing to do, right? Because <laughs> I couldn't wear a shoe on that side. But, but, you know, yeah, since going veg- vegetarian, because every year, you know, you, you give something up, and I think it is a it's, it is a good practice, you know, because it's it's a spiritual practice, uh, you know, identify identification with you know Christ going into the into the wilderness, all of that. But I think also just as a discipline, you know, I'm actually being intentional and deciding to uh, to to change things up a little bit, which is a good idea. But I usually go, I usually say I'll give up meat for for Lent, but now that I'm a full-blown vegetarian since going, um, since giving up meat in 2015 Lent, and I've and I've carried on ever since. I'm having to find somewhere else now, Steve. So, because you are hardcore, I will vouch for this. I mean, recently we shared a um, a ham salad roll, and it was wafer thin ham, but you still passed it over. <laughs> ah, ah, I, yes, I love the way that that was ordered because he said it almost doesn't count. No, no, that 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 went out of the. That way, that, that, and then, and then you had a a double double ham salad. No complaints mate. here. Oh, mate, it's like you were living a you were like from New York, mate. <laughs> <laughs> like from pastrami. <laughs> um, so if you went to a steakhouse, what would you have? You'd have just chips and a, I'd have a the house. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just keep, keep the garnish coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I went to a steakhouse, I'd, I'd I don't know, mate. I'd probably I'd probably faint. Um, uh, yeah. So this year, I think I'm going to give up. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's coffee. It's going to be coffee because that's my that's my. You love a coffee. I love a coffee. I mean, we're not talking like I, I I'm now a coffee snob. I won't even accept. Um, you know, someone I have to actually ask him when someone do you want a coffee? I say, well, is it is it real though? I'm, I'm not. You're okay. not giving me some of that freeze dried nineteen. Which I've at my house. You turn down coffee. Oh mate, I think that was hickory you were trying to give me, mate. I like a bit of hickory. <laughs> I, I did get you out my special gift from Rob Griggs Taylor. Do you remember that interesting 
uh, Christmas coffee wasn't mix it, we had. It was, wasn't it laced with like whiskey and arsenic or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> like, it certainly had an aftertaste. It did. It was like they just picked up some, the beans from behind some bin. It was horrible. Like, <laughs> look. Just, Apologies, Robert, for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that counts. Well, it's the same with them um, at Christmas, you know, like mulled wine, right? Mulled comes from the Latin meaning ruined, right? Like, oh. I like red wine. But don't mull it. And, and I like coffee, and I like coffee beans. But wh- whatever your friend did, it was like coffee laced with, with just a terrible taste. If I want a hint of, of brandy, I'll drop a hint of brandy in, thanks very much. You know, I feel quite indignant now. You too. I think I need a coffee. <laughs> so, Tony, Easter Sunday. Now, I've never had an Easter Sunday big lunch, because I'm always gigging. I've never been round at home Easter Sunday people still go to town Easter Sunday don't they with with lamb and a lovely roast I mean what are they going to be having in the vino house <laughs> you a see, potato a potato but my boy that potato's going to taste what is this uh, it's boiled there you go just... so, so you wouldn't even have a roast you wouldn't have it no, you wouldn't I, I, have I would... it roasted in goose fat no <laughs> No, I wouldn't have it roasted in goose fat. I would roast <laughs> oil. Yeah, I would roast the goose in potato <laughs> juice or something like that. No, I think um, Very starchy. I, I love a good roast, mate. And 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 uh, and you know, a vegetarian roast is a it's it's a beautiful thing to behold. You start off with like a huge vat of vegetables, right? And you think, man, it doesn't fit in your. Um, oven, and then you put it in, and then forty minutes later, it's it's kind of hiding in the corner. <laughs> it's like reduced to nothing, but it tastes great. Roasted veg, Mediterranean veg, and um, uh, nut roast, mate. Oh, nut roast, okay. beautiful. Crack it's um, it, it, it's beautiful with a bit of red onion gravy. I, I, I do it, and I pack it. I genuinely pack it all with um, loads of things. My two key ingredients are always garlic and uh, paprika. Those two together, flipping out, mate. Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo, and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. First up, I chat to Jody Wainwright. One of the directors of Boodles, a privately held British luxury jeweller and jewellery designer group founded in 1798. It's a family company located in Liverpool. And Jodie has been known to say finding a really remarkable diamond is just like falling in love. Yeah, I like that, mate. Here we go. Steve Legg brings you the best podcast every single month. It's so great. He's a great guy. No one knows more about great podcasts than me. The features, the interviews, even the adverts. It's a great show. Fantastic. Enjoy the show. Jody, thanks for joining us. What exactly is Boodles? Boodles, the business, is a family-run jewellery business. Uh, looking at, we design, four designers, we make and we sell with through our ten shops in the UK with one in Ireland. The company was set up in 1798. When did the Wainwrights join the company? Well, we've been jewellers. I'm sixth generation for a very long time, but we took Boodles over, as it were, in the early 1900s. And there were two men running the business, Mr. Boodle and Mr. Dunthorne. Boodle was the main man. Dunthorne was his sort of sidekick, I'd say. And he... 
Boodle died quite unexpectedly, choked on a chicken bone outside the shop in his lunch hour and Dunthorne then allowed our uh, family to, to come in. We were competition at the time, but we came in to run it. You're a northern jeweller with your base in Liverpool. How do you see the north-south divide? Good question. We like to think we're the backbone of the country uh, in the north, and I think we're probably the backbone of the business in many ways. It's We say of Chester, it never lets you down, uh, our Chester shop. Liverpool is where it all started. It was then Chester and then Manchester. We now have... Um, six shops in London and so you know you'd imagine London is a big part of our business but quite often we have Chester or Manchester nipping at the heels of Bond Street's figures so uh, the north I think is more straightforward less complicated to run staff issues are less complicated in the north Um, I'm based in the north and I grew up in the north so I, I love it up here I've also lived in London for 10 years I like the, I just like the simplicity and the straightforwardness of of the north. Um, yeah, that's my... what do you like about it? <laughs> it's good. It's great. I, do, you know, I, I've slightly blown the budget, so I'm not going to be buying so many this year. I had a slightly too big a year last year, uh, but I go to Hong Kong uh, once every two years. I go to New York two or three times a year. Uh, Antwerp, I was there a couple of weeks ago, and it is exciting. I mean, it is. Uh, uh, some people say, gosh, it sounds very James Bond. Well, I mean, you get used to what you do, but it is exciting, and I don't take it for granted. Meeting interesting people, seeing incredible diamonds, uh, hearing incredible stories. Uh, it's quite a fast-paced business as well, so the market can move quite quickly. And for me to go to those places is, is important. But I love the diversity. You know, I, there's there's st- interviewing staff. There's advertising meetings. What's the next campaign going to look like? There's merchandising meetings. So there's a, there's a lot to running a business. And to be honest with you, there are four of us. I can pick and choose. I think we all slightly pick and choose the things that we like, which are generally the things we're better at. So you end up doing the things you enjoy, which makes the job quite nice. Tell us where your faith comes into things. Oh, it's a huge impact. Uh, I'm 40 years old now. When I was 19, I became a Christian very out of the blue. I uh, wanted to join the army at the time. Uh, didn't go down that army route and worked in the church for four years. At which point in the uh, age 23, met my wife, got married, went into the family business, which I thought I would never do since I became a Christian. And after a year, I felt I'd give it a try. My father was very happy, didn't think I was going to join after the Christian bit. Uh, he said, try it out for a year. I th- loved it after the first year, stayed another year, and the rest is history, as they say. It's about 16 years down the line. And Christianity has a huge impact in, in my life. You know, I mean, I just can't see anything without God's hand in it, actually. You know, the reality of God is not just there on a Sunday, but. The reality of God is there when you meet someone who's having a tough time at work, someone who's done well at work, uh, business issues going well, business issues going badly. Business is a bit slow at the moment, by the way. And I I feel a deeper sense of peace when the rubber hits the road. It's, well, actually, God's got this. It doesn't take your foot off the pedal, but you have a deep underlying sense of peace that there is someone bigger looking after things. We're going to be chatting to Jody a little bit more. But next up, it's an amazing man, Ben Cooley. 
in the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine. Big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from High Street Retailers Nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men for life. Ben Cooley, remarkable young guy, co-founded Hope for Justice in 2008 to bring an end to modern slavery and human trafficking. It's great to chat to Ben about his new book. When whiling away the days, months and years of the Shawshank State Penitentiary, I love nothing more than to listen to the Sordid Man Up podcast. Fear can hold you captive. Man Up can set you free. Ben, what was it like seeing your first copy of Impossible Is A Dare? Uh, I mean, it's quite an overwhelming thing, uh, seeing your book um, in, in paper form. Uh, and it's, uh, it's bright red, so you can't miss it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm humbled. It's a journey that we've been on for several years of trying to, uh, you know, almost um, put in word form what's been happening at Hope for Justice at, how many people's lives we've been able to change, the, the stories of the clients that we've been able to see from exploitation to restoration, and it's humbling, and it, it's really humbling to see it in bookshops. And, uh, as someone who doesn't like to read, uh, it's, it's quite an overwhelming process. It's a great title. What can people expect from the book? Yeah, the stories from clients, the stories from people who have experienced slavery, the stories from uh, the perspective of our staff that have been... Uh, along the journey with us but it's uh it's it's a dare really you know it's taken from the inspiration really is taken from uh kind of uh the muhammad ali quote that says impossible is big, uh, just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given rather to explore the power they have to change it impossible is temporary impossible is nothing impossible is a dare and the whole book is this dare to believe that we can live in a world free from slavery, dare to believe that children can uh, uh, be and live in, in this world and that men and women don't need to be sold, but we can create, we as architects of this world can create a world free from slavery. And it's a dare to the reader, do you want to join us? Do you want to become part of this world free from slavery? And it's also, I suppose, a dare for your impossible. I don't know what your impossible is is it uh, to start that business is it to uh, achieve that goal in your life and it's a dare to you to actually do something about that impossible because when you stand up to the giants of this world when you use your skill your voice you can change things take us back to launching hope for justice how did it come about so i i was an opera singer um i was um uh, i was doing pretty well at wearing tights and makeup and dancing around uh, and I used to do that in operas as well. And um, I, uh, I, you know, I went to this event run by um, Marion White and a few of the women at the Manchester Town Hall. And I heard about the 27 million people caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year sold, two children every minute. And I walked out of that building that night and I thought, wow, if that was my daughter, I would do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. They are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the NEC Arena uh, to tell people about it, and we got 5,884 people 
to our first event, and that was kind of the catalyst for growth and the start of the new beginning of Hope for Justice. Tell us about your visit to a brothel in India and how it impacted you. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I was taken out to India by another NGO to experience this. If I was going to talk on a platform about this, um, I needed to know about the reality. And um, and since then, have been in countless brothels undercover with either our staff or other um, organisations, and have seen the exploitation of uh, of women and men in a horrendous way. I uh, in India, I saw white girls in the centre of uh, an Indian brothel. In Cambodia, I've been into a brothel where there's, it's called the Goldfish Bowl, where they literally, there are girls um, sat behind a screen on, on rake seating, not given a name nor a number. You as a man are given a, a pen with a laser sight on to point at the girl. Uh, I've been into brothels where there's young girls, there's 13 to 15 year olds. And uh, I think I never get used to the fact that uh, we are living in a world where you can buy children, you can buy uh, women that don't want to be there, that are being exploited and abused for profit. And as a man and as a leader and as a father, I want to do something about that. How challenging was it starting things? Yeah, I think it was... um, Starting anything is 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 difficult. Um, I think it's 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 hard to because of the amount of passion that I had right at the beginning and the amount of opportunity that I saw. It's hard to quantify what you will do, but I think that Edmund Burke puts it: all that's required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. So I think what you've got to do, and what I learned to do, was to do something. The first thing, the first step was an arena. The second step was staff. The third step, and I think that's how it works. It's increment by increment. It's step by step. It's life by life. And that's what I've learned. I I never thought that we would be in, you know, five countries across the world, um, rescuing hundreds of victims of modern day slavery, restoring them, having aftercare facilities, a school, reintegration projects. Never thought we, that, that was never part of the, plan eight years ago when we started this but actually what I've realized is vision happens in increments and so I've just committed to building upon building upon building this glorious organization I say that not because of me but because of actually what it's doing it's changing people's lives and bringing an end of slavery to those individuals we'd love to hear a few stories of early rescues and people you've helped yeah I mean the first girl that we ever rescued was was heartfelt. I speak about in the book about how, really, just just the it's it's when the statistics and the, uh, the 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 issue of modern day slavery became alive to me. Um, but one of the stories that I I remember back in the early days is we we helped a group of um, of fifteen. Um, uh, a, a, the the youngest was just a few months old. And I saw um, I saw a three-year-old child in that group um, uh, that um, was so exploited um, and so trained. Her whole thinking was marred by the exploitation that her family and and her had gone through. 
that I went out to get them food to, uh, you know, on the day of rescue. This was the day, the new beginning. And uh, I went to get them food and I saw this three-year-old girl putting chicken in her pockets because she didn't know where the next meal was. And uh, I remember just a few weeks after that, we helped a group of, of nine, eight of which were children and um, a, a three-month-old baby that was there in exploitation. And they were forced, their trafficker forced them to sit around the table um, uh, on the floor while the trafficker would sit and have his dinner every night and uh, would laugh and joke about the day. All the while, these nine people would be sat on the floor on the round the table. And then when the trafficker finished his meal, he would literally throw the scraps of food onto the floor for these children to eat like animals. Um, we are... Uh, helping individuals like that on, on virtually on a daily basis. We're helping women that have been sold into prostitution. One of the girls that we helped early on, uh, the first person that abused her was dressed as a police officer. We rescued people in factories. We rescued 30 people uh, that were in a factory that were making uh, products for some of the largest retailers in the UK. We are rescuing people from domestic servitude. One of the guys that we rescued was held in slavery for 24 years. And one thing I've realized is that whatever we say about the statistics, whatever we say about how big the problem is, the problem is massive because it affects human lives and these individuals matter, they can. Um, what I hope from this book is this book inspires a generation not to give up but to keep on going because the prize is freedom and we believe freedom is worth the fight. Ben, I know it's not just about rescues. Explain your restorative care projects to us. And we run programs um, uh, like the Lighthouse, which is the first eight-week stabilisation program for girls that have been um, uh, trafficked and, and, and rescued, uh, child trafficking. And we've had over 150 girls in the last 18 months graduate that program. We have a long-term residential treatment centre that provides therapy and and care for individuals that have been sex trafficking victims. And to see those girls from where they have come from, and I've been into environments where they have been sold, and their, their, um, their bodies have been ravaged by men, but I've now seen them get a job, I've seen them get independent living, I've seen them you know, become part of the local church. I've seen true restoration, I've seen hope, and I've seen justice. I know pioneering sounds sexy, but how much of a challenge was it to your family in the early days? Yeah. Well, um, uh, do you know, I never wanted to include that in the book. But um, uh, this is my friend, who, you know, trying to tell the true nature of what it takes to pioneer. I, I didn't see it as much as a, as a, um, as a sacrifice. I, I, in fact, I really loved those seasons. You know, the season of just being so close to the vision. But it was a sacrifice on the family, you know. Um, uh, things like swimming lessons were like an extravagance if we could make that work. Lunch was was something that I I felt like I needed to give up so that we could do what we could do as a family, and and the kids were a priority for me. I don't feel sorry for me. I I don't want that. That wasn't the intention. I actually, you know, I I think it, I put it in because. I want people to see that it's not easy. I remember one time being on uh, a platform and someone came up to me and they said, oh Ben, I'd love to live your life. I'd love to, you seem to live this just amazing life. And at that point in time, uh, we, weren't, we didn't own a house and we didn't own a house for a very long time and 
we were renting and the people that were um, renting the house to us sold it and I uh, ended up being homeless. Me and my wife and my two kids were living in one of our friend's bedrooms um, for weeks and weeks until we could find another house. What was fascinating is that guy spoke to me and said, I'd love to live your life at that point in time. You know, it's amazing what people see from a platform. It's their perceptions are their reality. But the, from what I've learned from people that are changing the world, it takes sacrifice. No one changes the world from doing the minimum. You have to go above and beyond and risk it all uh, to, see extrava- to see extraordinary things uh, in their life. And I believe that's what I'm trying to inspire people to do is, you know, like keep on going. It's hard sometimes, but uh, don't give up. What's kept you going through the hard times? I think one of the things that does keep me going is team. Uh, one of the best uh, pieces of advice I could give to someone that's starting an organization or starting their impossible is that get the best people around you that you possibly can. Get people that scare you, that intimidate you with their, their success. And that's what we've done here at Hot for Justice. So get the best people around you and then enjoy the journey. You know, uh, you know life is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And uh, I know that we face some of the darkest things that happen in the world, but I am committed, we are committed at Hope for Justice to face it with a smile. And that's what this book kind of does. It, 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 you know, I, from the feedback that I'm getting is some people are laughing one minute and then crying the other and then go, wow, isn't that amazing that that, that life can get changed. And, and for me, I'm committed to building an organization that has hope at the, the, the center of it, that has laughter, that has joy. I'm going to face the world with a smile on my face. I'm going to face the darkness with a light in my hand. I'm not going to become like that. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak hope uh, because that's how I believe those that have the long obedience in the same direction, those that keep on going, uh, understand that joy is their strength. On a wider scale, Ben, what are the latest stats on slavery and trafficking? Well, in the UK, there's 13,000 victims of modern-day slavery, according to the Home Office. Um, but worldwide, uh, there are millions. Uh, you know, some reports say 21 million, some say 35, some say um, above 40. What we do know is that there is an epidemic across the world that women, children and men are being bought and sold for profit. They are in our factories. They are in, in our residential accommodation. They are in the supply chains of some of the most well-known brands. And we as um, believers, and I don't just mean uh, people of faith, I mean believers in the fact that humanity matters, that that we want to live in a world free from slavery, that exploitation should not be in our borders, then it's time for us to rise up. And I am so grateful that politicians around the world, in America, with Senator Bob Corker, with Theresa May in the UK and across Europe, there is is a, a, a political uprising on this issue that they are wanting to protect the poor, the weak, and the marginalized. And we have to join the dots, stand in uni- unity, and, uh, and see this through to completion. What's your hope with the book? I think the, uh, the, the title says it, really. Um, uh, you know, I've shared my stories. I've shared the highs and the lows of this journey of building an organization. Uh, and I think my challenge to people is this, is what is your dare? You know, because don't just settle in normality. Don't just do the minimum. But what is your vision? Uh, There is a well-known proverb that says, where there is uh, no vision, people cast off restraint. But the opposite to that is where there is vision, 
people flourish. And I just want to inspire you. Have a vision for your life. What's your vision for your life? What's your impossible? And I dare you to change it. Whether it's that school situation, whether it's that um, uh, situation in your business, the culture in your business, you think you can't turn it around. I dare you to believe that you can. I dare you to face that impossible in your marriage. I dare you to face that impossible with your finance. What is your impossible? And my book, this book, our book, is, is meant to inspire you that your impossible uh, is possible. And then ultimately, it's to it, invite you to join us. Because if you are a believer like me, that all life matters, that slavery is wrong, well, there's a challenge in this book to join us. Edmund Burke says, all that's required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Well, we want to we challenge you today, unashamedly, do you want to join us in to be abolitionists, to see this through to completion so that our children and our children's children will live in a world free from slavery because we decided to do something? And finally, we also like to ask fellas this on the Sorted podcast. Uh, how do you balance all of this with being a dad and husband? So balance is an interesting word. I don't see balance in any biblical reference or in anything. So I, I, I think there's no such thing as a balanced life. Me and my wife say this all the time. When people go, how do you get a balance? How do you get a balanced life? How do you do it? You can't. So stop chasing after a balanced life. Stop doing it. Because you cannot get a balanced life. I've never met anyone that can have a balanced life. Now, what you can have is a strategic life. You can choose what you give your time and your priorities to. You can choose what you give your finance to. You can choose what you invest your, your time into. And what I would say is choose well. You get to choose. You know, as a leader, often I can allow circumstances to determine what my, uh, what my choosing will be. But I actually have chose that thing to allow to take over my choice. And, and so what I would say is just be careful. Make sure that you're deliberate with your, your, your time. And, uh, and give priority to what you believe you want to have priority for. So family is so important to me. So there are days that I just block off their family times. You ain't going to touch that. I say to my assistants, hey, anyone calls me on those days, they can't get me. I'm out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a family day. And you need to set principles and stick to them. Here's the thing. This is the, the best tip that I can give, her, right, give is this, right? is to don't just talk about this. Don't just talk about your work-life balance. Don't talk, just talk, don't talk about it. Do it. The lesson you may deliver may be wise and true, but I prefer to learn my lessons from observing what you do. So live it out. And so for me, I've got this wrong and I've got this right. And more often I've got it wrong because this is one of the greatest challenges is what do I choose to give my time to? And sometimes I give my time to what shouts at me loudest, not what is the greatest priority. So find out what the priorities are and then make a choice. Healthy friendships are important. Friends who listen, laugh, challenge, and offer sound counsel. Who has time for that? We do. Why not have a stagiversary? Unite both old and new friends over a day, weekend, or even longer. But this time round, you set the agenda. At Stagiversary, we believe in fun and adventure. But most of all, helping you to create space to rest, refuel and reconnect with the important people in your life. What are you waiting for? Visit stagiversary.co.uk, inquire within and let us do the rest. 
Well, this is a cracker this time. I hope you agree. Let's chat a little bit more to uh, jewellery guru, uh, Jody Wainwright. Sorry, man, a podcast. These guys are great. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. However, not as good as America will be when I am done with it. Jody, uh, what's the toughest lesson you've had to learn in your career? There's been a number of tough lessons. Um, I would say I haven't had a level nine out of ten, but I've had a few sevens. Um, and robberies, honestly, would be up there. I've had a nasty robbery where I had a gun pointed at my head. Um, that was some time ago. How can that happen, Lord, when the sense of violation of your space, of your safety, of someone coming th- that violently against you, as it were, that wasn't um, violated in, in a physical sense. That's been very hard. But then seeing seeing God through that, you know, he never, and this is, this is the reality, with God, nothing is left uh, untapped or unused. He uses everything for our good, even a robbery, even a gun at the, at being pointed at you. Uh, and I could talk about that another time, perhaps. But yeah, I think the, the difficult times have been robberies. And I think other difficult times, seeing my father's divorce, uh, seeing him very, very broken for the best part of three years. I worked closely with him, see him every day. I think that was another extremely tough, trying to help him through that. Uh, whilst he's a man of some faith, he doesn't perhaps share the same depth of faith. So he was very much struggling on his own and trying to help someone that he loved so much when really you just want them to, to, to know the Lord and, and that healing that can come for him rather than me trying to point him the whole time towards it. So uh, those are two things. For a business established back in 1798, how do you manage to stay relevant? With four good designers, all of them female. <laughs> I think there's four men on the board. We're four family uh, men that run the business. It, but we put women in the right place. We're in the jewellery industry. It's important to have design that is relevant. I think... The other thing is is getting the right people and investing time into your people because where there is life, where people have life, somehow that brings a relevance. I feel for a potential customer coming into a shop where you know, a member of staff might be 55 years old, but if they're full of life, by and large, our staff are quite young, but we have plenty of people. It's a slow staff turnover. People tend to stay with us. But if we can invest in those people, actually the man or woman who's 55 or 60 in Boodles is generally pretty good at what they do, loved by their customers and looked up to by the rest of the staff, hopefully because they're special, but also because we maintain an interest and an investment, as it were, into them. So I think the most staying relevant is about your people. What challenges do you expect the luxury sector to face over the next few years? Well... Brexit is uh, the good old Brexit, the uncertainty of where things are going for our customers. Our typical customer is never very helpful. Uh, 2008 was a slight wobble. It was not too bad, but, um, you know, we experienced a bit of a wobble. So when there's uncertainty, and there seems to be quite a lot of political uncertainty in the UK, I just feel the world is also slightly messy um, at the the moment. It's a fast-paced on a train heading to some casting off of restraint, if you like, within society. That worries me. Okay, I don't over-spiritualise things, but, you know, you wonder where God's blessing is on that. But I feel um, we just keep doing what we can do. 
we keep moving. We've had some good years. Maybe there'll be some tough years ahead, but I feel fairly confident that we're a business with integrity and, and we're trying to remain relevant and the standards remain high. So, you know, hopefully that will, will, will ride things out if it does get tough, but I, I don't know. And finally, how do you achieve a healthy work-life balance? Probably not very well, if you ask my wife. Um, but I, you know, there's a time for everything. And I feel that one of the pressures I've had to let go of is with an uncle and a father above me in the business. On the one hand, they are running the business. Um, I'm a director, so I'm running the business also. But there's that oversight, which is quite helpful. But the pressure I put on myself to look like I'm performing in their eyes has been something I've had to deal with. What is God calling me to do? Not my uncle or my father, because that gives me the space to think, well, this is important, but it's not actually as important as this. So I can prioritize the various aspects of my business. So fitting Christian charity, board meetings, trustee, I'm away for two days next week with the message trust. Uh, They know it's important to me. It is important to me. So I just prioritize and put it in the diary. I also love cycling, by the way. So I, Try to get on my bike and clear the air that way quite regularly. Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone, and I play it tough. You're listening to the Sword of Man Up podcast. This is what we do. So there we go. This is Steve Legg signing out for our Easter, well, pre-Easter podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please do tell your friends. Please do share the podcast. Leave some comments. Uh, It really helps other people find us. Until next time, see ya. That was the Man Up Podcast. They'll be back. You've been listening to the Man Up Podcast from Sorted Magazine. Recorded, edited, and delivered by flagshiprecording.com.